0: We are downtown, we are historic, we are family, we are scriptural, we are First Baptist Church. Now if you would, find uh, in your listening sheet our text for the sermon, which is 2 Chronicles 1, 7 through 13, and we're going to read that aloud together. So we have finished our time in 1 Chronicles. Now we're moving into 2 Chronicles, into chapter 1. And so if you would, stand with me, and we'll read this aloud. This, then, is the text for today. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon said to God, YOU HAVE DEALT WITH MY FATHER DAVID WITH GREAT loving kindness, AND HAVE MADE ME KING IN HIS PLACE. NOW, O LORD GOD, YOUR PROMISE TO MY FATHER DAVID IS FULFILLED, FOR YOU HAVE MADE ME KING OVER A PEOPLE AS NUMEROUS AS THE DUST OF THE EARTH. GIVE ME NOW WISDOM AND KNOWLEDGE THAT I MAY GO OUT AND COME IN BEFORE THIS PEOPLE, FOR WHO CAN RULE THIS GREAT PEOPLE OF YOURS? god said to solomon because you had this in mind and did not ask for riches wealth or honor or the life of those who hate you nor have you even asked for long life but you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over whom i have made you king wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you and i will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings who were before you has possessed nor those who will come after you so solomon went from the high places which was at gibeon from the tent of meeting to jerusalem and he reigned over israel may god bless the reading of his word so let me ask you if you were elected president of the united states of america What would be your first act in power? What would you do, how would you reign from that role of president? You know, I looked online and I tried to find some places where people were asking this question, and there were a lot of different answers to this question. What would you do first if you were president of the United States of America? You know, some of the people responded with very practical answers. They said, well, as the President of the United States of America, you need to find the people around you, your staff, your cabinet, the important people, you need to get them first. So find your important people, get them in the right places, that's what you do first. Now that's no fun, though. There there were others who said, well, if I was President of the United States, I would first run quickly to Area 51 to see the aliens. Or they they said, if if it wasn't for that, I would go quickly to the files on JFK's assassination and I would find the truth. Those were the kinds of things that were coming up when people said, this is what I would do first as president of the United States of America. Some some, though were economic, where they said things like, well, if I was president, I would abolish the IRS. Or I, I would do something like, give every teacher in the country a raise, those kinds of things. There was amens there, I think. But what would you do? What would you do first if you were president? And and I want us to consider this carefully because what we see in our text for this week is exactly the biblical call for that act. The Bible says this is exactly what you should do. First thing, if you're ever elected president of the United States of America. Or, this is the first thing you should do. If you're ever called to leadership, if you ever step out in faith and take people with you, this is where you should go. This is the first thing you should do. So we see as we come into Second Chronicles chapter 1, this is the first steps of Solomon's reign as king. And Second Chronicles says this is exactly what you should do in your first steps as king. It's interesting, because people bring up 2 Chronicles 1 fairly regularly, may not know where it's found, but, but we talk about Solomon's wisdom quite often. But, but I'm afraid, usually when we're talking about it, I believe we're missing the point that too often we misremember what's happening here in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. So Solomon begins this reign... And, and we see that, and, and we start to think, well, as he, as he takes this over from David, we remember, well, he asked God for wisdom, and that must be an important thing to do, and maybe that was his first act as king, was this ask, to go and ask God for wisdom. But, but I want us to pause here for a second, because we, ca- we get caught up in this, and we, we see Solomon ask God for wisdom, and and our flesh can't help it. But we see what happens next. When when Solomon asks for wisdom, we see, oh... When he asked for wisdom, God gave him everything else, the, the wealth and the riches and all the shiny things. So what our flesh likes to do is our flesh then likes to tell us, well, if you want the wealth, is, wealth and riches and all the shiny things, just ask God for wisdom, and he'll give you all those other things. Right? It's almost like we, we treat it like it, it's some kind of magic formula, that, that if we will pray in the right kind of formula, God's just going to just shower down all of these gold coins on top of all of us. But, but, but that's, not what, that's not what's going on here. In, in fact, asking for wisdom is not some kind of prayer hack. And I think some of us feel that way about this prayer. And when we think about 2 Chronicles 1, we think there's this prayer hack around wisdom that if you will ask for wisdom, God's just going to take care of you with everything else. But, but listen carefully here. God is not in the business of giving people lots of shiny things because they figure out the right prayer formula. Prayer is not about a formula. Prayer is about a relationship. Prayer is about you opening up your heart to God and God opening heaven up to you. And this is a conversation between you and your Lord about what's right. There's no secret asks that unlock all kinds of things of heaven. Right? The, the prayer is this conversation between you and the creator. And actually the great treasure here and the great moment here is that the heavens have been opened by the cross of Jesus Christ and you can have a conversation with your creator. In fact, that's what we should be praising the Lord for and grateful for, that God we can talk and God we can know and God helps us discern what's next in our lives. You see, that's treasure enough having honest conversation with a caring Heavenly Father is worth more than the weight of all the gold that was used to build the temple. And so our priority in prayer is this personal relationship with Christ. And this, it, it, this is what we recognize when, when Christ went to the cross. As we celebrate Easter together, as Christ marched to that cross, he was the, the temple veil began to tear at the crucifixion so that you could come into this new relationship with God through Christ and know him intimately and personally. And God is saying, this is to you. This is open to you and available to this, to you this morning if you would hear the call of the Christ on your Life, you can know God and know him intimately. In fact, when we start treat when we stop treating God kind of like a golden lamp from Agrabah, that's when we'll begin to experience His presence and His power. And so I want us to be careful. See, as we come to Second Chronicles chapter one, that we we do not get derailed on the grandness of God's blessing. Because this is true, God blesses in grand ways, but sometimes our flesh derails us around those grand blessings. And so let, let's, let's pause there and leave that there and remember what came first, because the ask didn't come first. That This wasn't the first thing that Solomon did as he became king. This isn't what started that ministry or that, that, that kingship off right It wasn't the asking of wisdom. There there was something that came before that that set the whole thing up. You see, this is often what we misremember about this passage, is what came first. Because there was something incredible that came before the ask. What was the first thing that Solomon did when he became king? See, when you look at this text... You get to verse 2 and verse 3, you, you see him. He gathers all the leaders, and he starts to gather Israel together for a very distinct pur- uh, purpose. In fact, what we see here is we begin to see his first recorded acts as king. So, so what is it? Verse 3, with me, it says, Solomon, he took, takes all these people. He gathers them together, he takes them all, and they go up to the high place which was at Gibeon. For God's tent of meeting was there. So why why is he he taking them up to Gibeon? Well, uh, Gibeon is a place that has a storied history. It's a few miles, six, eight miles northwest of Jerusalem. If you remember in Joshua chapter 10, Gibeon is where one of the greatest battles in all of human history takes place. Gibeon is where Israel cemented their grasp on the Promised Land, right, as they they were coming out of the wilderness into the Promised Land under the leadership of Joshua. Here at Gibeon, five kings come to, to meet Israel in battle, and Gibeon is where the sun stood still in the sky. As the text goes, the Lord defeated all five of these kings, and more people that day were killed by hail that came down out of the clouds than were by Israel's swords. God won a decisive battle there at Gibeon and Israel now held a strategic high city within the promised land just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. And so Solomon, he gathers all of the the people together and they they march up to Gibeon that day, but it wasn't to celebrate their military power. So don't, don't mishear me here. The reason why they all gather up and they march up to Gibeon is to celebrate God's power. You, You see Solomon in front of God and everybody, in front of all the leaders of Israel, he's saying, it is God who has brought us this far. We remember what happened to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We remember what happened in the Exodus. We remember where Moses was. We remember what happened to Gibeon. God. is the one who brought us through who let us out who gave us the exodus and showed us a new way forward in the promised land and so so solomon brings them up and his first act as king is to gather these leaders for the worship of god and and recognize the the history that their god has led them through so the perfect place for them to worship that day was at the altar of the lord the one that Moses had built 300 years before or so, at the same place where Joshua saw the Lord cause the sun to stop. And so, you see, before Solomon ever prayed for wisdom, Solomon went to worship. And, and in this moment of worship, he, he has this huge offering that he brings in. The, the Scripture continues on. It says he brought in a thousand livestock to be offered unto the Lord. This' sort of a free will offering of Thanksgiving to say, "God, we recognize this is all yours, the kingdom is yours, the throne is yours, everything that we have is yours." And, and Solomon, in his first act as king, comes to worship and offers a thousand livestock before God to say, "We worship Him." How many leaders do you know whose first act is to go to worship and to make a huge offering to the Lord? That's what Solomon did that day. You know, it's interesting if you go... LOOK UP LEADERSHIP HABITS. You can go to the bookstore, and there are all all kinds of tips and and tricks uh, uh, of how you're supposed to lead well and the things you can do as a leader, the habits that you make that that cause you to have success. In fact, there's all kinds of different, you know, 10 steps to guarantee that you'll be a good leader. And so when you you see these, you begin to gather the information. They're they're usually in a a few different categories. One of them is around relationships. And so sometimes you'll see, well, you don't need to neglect those you're leading. This is true. You need to listen to those. It, It tells you how to motivate those you're leading. You know, sometimes it tells you how to, uh, you know, you need to take care of yourself to be a good leader, those kinds of things. But you'll also see where they, they come to points where they'll have you four key steps to, to lead through a crisis or these kinds of things. And most of them, they're, they're, they're good enough. I mean, they'll give you a nice nugget for your next meeting. But all of those kinds of things that you find on the magazine racks or in, in the, the bookstore, they're secondary at best. They have little to do with your success in life. In fact, there's only one that has any real control over the success in your life, and it is our God, our creator, our Lord above. You see, as we recognize, when we read about Solomon's life, every moment of success came from the hand of God. But it, it wasn't because David left all of this gold to Solomon. Solomon's success was at the hand of the Lord. If if you want to have the wisdom and knowledge to lead well, it's not found in the self-help section. It's not help in the the business administration section of the bookstore. Where where you go to find wisdom on how to lead well and wisdom on discernment about next steps in life and where you're going and where you're headed, it's, it's found in the Word of God and in a deepening relationship with our Lord. You have to have a direct relationship with your Creator, you see, what we recognize as you read through the pages of the text is God is the one who knows. Right? God, is, God is all-knowing, and God, is, God sees, and God knows what's coming next. God knows what's ahead of us. God knows when we're coming out of this pandemic. God, God knows the things that you need to do well so that we can flourish on this earth and in his kingdom. And so we, we go to him for wisdom because he has seen and he has known. Every scenario, and no one else does, you see, for, for us to, to grow in this life and for us to, to thrive in this life, for us to lead well, it takes a deepening relationship with the Lord. It's the only way to live. And without a deepening relationship the, with the Lord, we fall apart. All of us are going to fall apart when we, when we move away from the Lord our God. And so the call on us as, 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 as people who are called in the kingdom of God. Those of us who are are leading, we're we're called to surrender to the Christ. And and this this has to be a habit. This isn't just the first thing we do. It's not just the first thing that we do in our first act of leadership, but it's a habit. It's not just the first thing that we do in the morning, but it's a habit. It's a part of who we are that we're leading out of our surrender to christ that we're living out of our surrender to christ if, if we're not living and leading out of our surrender to christ it is going to fall apart it will always fall apart because christ is the one who holds this life together and so if we are separated from him it is always going to fall apart it is inevitable see the habit that we need to form first and foremost is time with the lord no one else can make the sun stand still in the sky at gibeon Right, we think back to Joshua 10. Who else could have caused the sun to stop? No one but the Lord. Who, who else could have won that battle by, by hel- pelting the enemies with unending hail? No one but the Lord. Who else could have taken the, the son of an affair and grow him up into the wealthiest king in the world? No one but the Lord. Which in turn means that the greatest leadership habit, and even the greatest living habit, isn't spending more time listening to our employees or whatever else the magazine cover says. The the greatest leadership habit to form is spending time with the Lord, being an example of worship. You know, it's interesting. Jesus did similarly. You know, you find Jesus making his way to worship his heavenly Father, it was a habit. Even when he was young, he was in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus made his way into Jerusalem for all the festivals to worship. And you know, we, we know it's kind of like Solomon. You remember, so Solomon came to worship in this first act as king, he brought in a thousand sacrifices before the Lord. And we need to recognize that Jesus on Palm Sunday, as he's walking into Jerusalem or riding into Jerusalem, he's coming in as the ultimate sacrifice. Solomon brought a thousand livestock to be given on behalf of the nation. (laughs) Jesus came bringing his own life on behalf of the world. It was a sacrifice given for us. Solomon's sacrifice was for the nation of Israel. Jesus' sacrifice was for you and I. Jesus' sacrifice was for every one of us so that we might be saved and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You know, you you might not realize it, but the temple that Jesus is is walking into when when he, he comes into the city and he he drives out the money changers he's not walking into the same temple that solomon built it's the same spot but not the same temple You see after solomon builds the temple for the ark of the lord israel begins to forget god and as israel forgets god and moves away from god god calls on the assyrians and the babylonians to to come in and destroy them and the babylonians destroy the temple that solomon built we know about 516 bc that the temple is rebuilt but but kind of before that and in, in that same time frame, e- Ezekiel has a vision of a new temple. This is Ezekiel 40 through 46 or 47. And, and Ezekiel has a s- striking vision of what the temple should be. It's, it's a dream of the temple. And, and one of the incredible things of, about Ezekiel's dream of the temple it isn't all of the... the um, the blueprints and and all of the resources and all the things the temple should be made out of. You see some similar things there between Ezekiel and, and Solomon as they're talking about the temple. But but one of the remarkable things that you hear as Ezekiel is describing the, the new temple, he says that the king of Israel is the chief worshipper that he's the chief worshiper in the nation, not, not, not just the leader of worship. So he's not the one leading the worship service, but he is the example of the, of the worship. He, he's there leading out in worship as, as a congregant before God, saying week in and week out, the, the, the king of Israel is in worship before God, and that's what's going to make this right. That's what's going to save us and bring us together is when the leader is in worship, we will do well. You know, this is, this is a beautiful picture of leadership. And it's exactly who we should be if we're leading anyone. So don't think about this as, as left to the kings of Israel or left to the, the president of the United States or something like that. This is for, for leaders across the globe that we, we are leading in and out of worship. You know, if we have anybody that we employ or if we have children we are raising, if we have students we are teaching, if we have neighbors who are watching, we are examples of worship. In fact, we would do well to be an example of worship so that we're chasing after God above all else, above everything else, God is first. And I'm going to be in worship, laying down before the Lord God above. And this is my example to those that I'm leading. And, and this is perfect, and this is particularly important for leaders because too often, especially in high levels of leadership, so if you're thinking king or you're thinking president, but, but even in, in lower levels of leadership, It's very easy for those of us in leadership, even pastors, for our head to get very big. And it's very easy for any of us who are leading anyone to begin to think that we have the answers or that we are the answer or that we know what's going on or we know what's next. In reality, none of that's true. It's only God who knows what's going on. It's only God who knows what's next. And so it's in worship that, that we remember that, and it's in worship that, that we're called to that. In fact, when we, when we come into worship, that, that's when we're recognizing that we don't have all the answers. And, and in fact, there, there, there is one who does. Worship reminds us that we answer to somebody else. Worship reminds us that our thoughts and our actions are governed by the creator of the world. And, and that you, you have a Lord above you who is powerful and mighty. And one of the things that we recognize in worship, that our Lord that is above us, who is powerful and mighty, he has the power to bless, and he also has the power to curse. In fact, one of the things that we have seen throughout Scripture is that God is one who will destroy those who are disobedient and enrich those who seek him with all of their hearts. And we're, we remember that and we practice that as we come together in worship and we fall down on our knees before the Lord, as we lift up our voices before the Lord, we're saying, I am not the one who is in control of all of this. My Lord is. And let me tell you, that's a, uh, it's a freeing thing for a leader to say, I'm not in control, but I know the one who is. In fact, sometimes our pride keeps us from being able to say that. But that is the truth and reality of Scripture. You know, one of the amazing things about that Ezekiel text is you work through Ezekiel 40 through 47 or so. Ezekiel really doesn't even call the king of Israel the king. In fact, there's a couple other places in Scripture where this happens in the Old Testament where instead of calling the king of Israel king, so someone like Solomon, instead of calling him king, they call him the prince. And Ezekiel calls him the prince, whoever the king of Israel is. And, and that's very intentional because it, it sort of knocks us down a peg, right? It, it helps you remember that there is somebody ahead of me. So if, if I'm going to be called prince instead of king, it helps me remember that the king of kings and the Lord of lords stands above me. And it doesn't matter how high I get up in this, in this world or how much I gather together in this world or however much I accumulate, there's always somebody who's greater than me. And the one who is greater is a loving, compassionate God who is one who dispenses grace and justice from heaven, who also at the same time administers judgment and destruction for those who are disobedient. And so what we recognize is that we have a King of kings and a Lord of lords. And and we have a question before us, and and it's a really important question. It's, it's It's not the same... Right is what we started with, because what would you do as first act as president isn't that important of a question for us this morning, but, but this is. Will you surrender to the Christ in worship this morning? Because, because that's, the, that's the greatest act that, that we can do together this morning is, is to worship Jesus Christ as Lord. This is the most important thing that we'll do to, today, and, and, and this is what we're called to do. This is who we're called to be. And are, are you going to surrender to him? Are you going to hand over everything that is yours? Are you going to hand over your roles unto the Lord? Those that you're leading unto the Lord? Because they are his. If we'll seek him and hand them over to him, God's going to bless us far beyond what we can imagine. So God's calling out this morning. Are you going to surrender it all unto him? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time. It's like Solomon and Israel did 3,000 years ago. We we have come to worship. We've come to, to praise your holy name as our creator and our sustainer. And Lord, we, we pray this morning that as we come and bow down before you, Lord, that we would be reminded of your goodness and we'd be guided in the right direction. And so, Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit so that we might learn and grow. We might be the men and women that you've called us to be. And so, Lord, we ask you to come and save. And it's in the name of the Christ that we pray. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.